everybody, and welcome to an episode of Impactful Conversations, a platform to educate and inspire. My name is Tafadzan Lohu, and thank you for tuning in for the show. On this show, I interview and speak to individuals who are making a difference in their world, individuals who have a different way of thinking and are forming as leaders in their respective fields. I hope that you enjoy the episode, and I'd love to hear some of your feedback after listening to the episode, either by writing us a review or by heading over to the website, impactfulconversations.co.za, and heading over to the Contact Us section. Anyway, wherever you listen to this, I hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Good day, everybody, and welcome to episode 18 of Impactful Conversations. I am thrilled today to be joined by Foyan Ogunrombi here today. Uh, Foyan, it's great to have you here, but uh, before, I, before I quickly speak to you, let me just introduce you to the people. Um, so Foyan is a freelance fashion, lifestyle and beauty writer, uh, makeup artist, content creator. Um, she holds a B Business Science in uh, Marketing Management degree from the University of Cape Town. Uh, she's an Alan Gray Orvis Foundation Fellow. Uh, she has extensive experience in uh, various posts and positions. She's interned at Seventeen Magazine, at uh, Superbalist, at Urban Decay Cosmetics. Um, she's worked as a social printer at Nifty 250 Printing, as a freelance beauty writer at Cosmopolitan, um, and as a fashion and beauty writer at Superbus. So, yeah, lots of... You read lots my whole CV, like... <laughs> someone, did going going stalking. someone did some research. We love yeah. to see this. <laughs> so, and then finally, she's the director of Solar Online, um, a company which offers fashion, lifestyle and beauty writing, um, content creation and makeup artistry services. So she is phenomenal and uh, we, we're glad to have you here. Foyan, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm good. I'm doing good. It's a very cold and wet day in Cape Town, so we've got to keep warm. But other than that, I'm doing phenomenal. How are you? No, I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, warmer here in, 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 in Joburg, but I've still got my tea here next to me. <laughs> <laughs> So old old habits, old habits. You but know, that's old winter. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So Foyan, uh, we typically start, you know, just, you know, we just want to get to know you a little bit better. Um, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, where are you from originally? Um, and, you know, what are you passionate about? Um, yeah, so tell us a little bit about your journey, actually. Cool. So, well, you've covered all of the professional aspects of my life, um, yeah. but I'll kickstart, like start way at the beginning. So I like to always go with the little quip that I am Nigerian born, Joburg bred and Cape Town based. Um, mm. I am of Nigerian descent, both my parents are Nigerian, and I was actually born in Zimbabwe. Because um, my parents relocated there for work. And then about two and a half, three years later, we moved to Johannesburg. And that is where all of my formative years were based. I grew up there. I went to school there. Started my life there. Um, and I went to Crawford. I'm a Crawford alumnus. And mm-hmm. yeah, I came down to Cape Town for university. And I studied at UCT, Bukasai Marketing. And yeah, that was that was something that I wanted to do because it was a very nice balance between my passions. I started my social media journey very early in life. Um, I created my first Twitter account in 2008 when I was 12 years old. Like I was a child raised on the Internet. Like it's all I know. I don't know. Like if you tell me Twitter disappeared tomorrow, I'll just be like, uh oh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
Like literally it is a part of me. Social media is a part of me. Social media raised me. Social media educated me. Um, mm. so it is very integral to who I am because it's like what I am. Um, mm. so yeah, I've been, I've been on the spaces in the blogosphere since I was 13. That's when I created my first blog, but the blog that I currently have now, which has been very derelict, dare I say, um, I created that one when I was 16 in grade 10, 2012. And that is where I kind of started solidifying my brand and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to pursue it. And that's why I say that my degree at UCT was kind of like a good compromise because I was very business minded and analytical minded. I was very good at maths and accounting and things like that, but I didn't want to work in that space. I wanted to work in fashion. I wanted to work in beauty. I wanted to work in media. I really wanted to be in magazines. Um, That's why in high school, I ended up interning at 17 under Janine Jalal. She's an incredible human being, a mentor of mine to this day. I love her so much. Um, and I, I taken all of that, like knowledge and understanding of the world because I tried so much to, to intern and get a feel of it from when I was young. So I mm-hmm. took all of that learning and was like, okay, I don't think I actually want to be in magazines as much anymore, but I still don't want to be an accountant, but I still want to work in this world, but I still kind of want to use my like analytical side. And I found that the business science marketing degree at UCT was a very middle ground where I got that business knowledge, where I got that like analytical, economic, financial understanding, but I still got to learn about marketing, learn about branding, learn about like the way that these things come together and how they actually are so interconnected in one and the same. And mm. I used all knowledge to help me build my brand over the years throughout university, always a queen of side hustling and internships. I, I wanted to get as much information as I could while I was studying because it's very easy to, to like intern and gather bits of knowledge while you're studying because then it's not as much pressure. And it yeah. also allows you to pivot your mindset so that if something you had were dead set on, wasn't working out, you still had some time to find something new and to switch that around. So that's what I spent most of my university life doing. And then obviously I graduated in 2018. Um, mm. And in 2019, I started working at Superbulous and I was a writer. Don't ask me how I ended up as a writer. My degree will not tell you how that happened. Um, but I spent some time there just learning, absorbing, seeing processes, seeing how things work, seeing how a company at that scale makes things work. And I was in the editorial department, so I wasn't necessarily in marketing, but we did work very close together because their insights, their data, their research informed our creative output. And I felt Mm. that that was a very symbiotic process, like the one needed the other. You needed the insights to create the content. And once I had felt like I was well-versed in that space, if I, I had taken enough knowledge I I was it was kind of serendipitous like it was it was literally a god orchestrated push to go branch out on my own and it's almost been a year to the day since I resigned and I've been freelancing ever since since the 1st of September I've been freelancing and and yeah it was a very it was a very tricky adjustment because I've always been a woman of structure but I think it was a very incredible coming together of things at the time because I had to learn a lot very mm. quickly very easily like very difficultly actually and Mm. funny enough it prepared me so much to survive a pandemic (laughs) it made me a lot more agile um so it's it's weird how everything throughout my life throughout all of the things that I was interested in all my hobbies all my side hustles everything came together to kind of prepare me for this point and Mm. yeah here we 
are. And I feel like I went way beyond the scope of your question, but I already warned you that that will happen. (laughs) (laughs) No, look, I think it's, it's, that is super, super interesting. I think firstly, um, I'm also Zimbabwean born as well. Um, I love the part where you, where you said Zimbabwean born, Joburg, Joburg, what, what does he say? Joburg? Nigerian bread, Joburg, um, what is it? Nigerian born, Joburg bread, Cape Town based. Cape Town based, yes. Zim didn't fit in, it was too much of a conflict, it's too hard to explain where Zim entered, like. (laughs) Complicated, it just complicated the, the phrase, but I absolutely loved that, that part, right, because that actually speaks to to identity and mm. and your your sort of heritage, as it were. Um, but that will come to a little bit later. Um, also, super super interested in your journey and how you you sort of navigated from school into into your degree, and then from your degree into becoming a writer, right? So we'll, we'll come to that as well. But first, I want to understand so. When you decided to do a business science degree in marketing, how do you think that that harnessed your strengths, right? So in that sort of thought process, um, firstly, in deciding to do that, but also whilst doing the degree itself, how do you think that sort of harnessed your strengths as a person? Um, So I think it goes back to obviously high school. So like I said, I was really good at maths. Um, I did, Mm -hmm. what did I do? I did ad maths science accounting history that makes eight in total yeah i did eight subjects um eight distinctions shout outs even though it doesn't matter anymore so proud of that (laughs) it matters because that is me (laughs) that is to me as well um so yeah i was very much into like the more analytical straight data mathematical cuts crop copy paste like History was one of my favorite subjects, mostly because it allowed me to view the world in a different way. It allowed me to understand the way that things worked. It allowed me to think in a more nuanced way, especially compared to the rest of my subjects, which are pretty much like A, B equals C, you know. And I think the balance of my subjects in high school also kind of matched the trying to balance my passions in my life because obviously you want to do things that you're good at and my parents god bless them my nigerian father wanted me to be an engineer and i was just like no (laughs) it's not gonna happen (laughs) it's not gonna happen and then my grandma bless her soul she was like are you gonna be a doctor and i was like no (laughs) like none of that was just it wasn't it wasn't for me, you know, it looked good on paper. It made sense on paper. And I'm pretty sure if I wanted to, I could have I could have pushed through and I could have done it. But it's like I'm I'm someone that is I'm very emotive and very passion driven. And I'm like, if I wanna study something, dedicate my life to something, it needs to be at least something I'm interested in, you know? So that's why like business science was a very good compromise for both my parents and for myself. Because I looked, I researched the degree and I'd seen the course structure and what UCT does is that marketing there is very, very, very different to marketing at your Vegas, your triple A's, your red and yellows, right? So they take the more creative, strategic approach that side. They they are more focused on actually like conceptualization, advertising, like the sales and advertising portion of marketing, whereas UCT is actually focused on like marketing as a business unit and yes. marketing is much more than promotion and sales. You know what I mean? Marketing is integral from 
product development, from research, from strategy, from insights. It, it, it flows through at every single step of the business process. And because marketing is so integral, UCT structures it such that you learn every single part of a business. So yes. you spend most of your time at the, in the marketing degree learning things that are not marketing. <laughs> like you'll only really start to like do marketing properly in third year. But for the yeah. first two ish, three, I can even say three years, you're learning finance, you're learning accounting, you're learning ecos, you're learning statistics, you're learning all of those foundational elements because they all play a part in your understanding of of marketing. You learn ethics, you learn law because all of those those subject matters influence your ability to understand your consumer, to market to them, to relate to them and to create relationships with them, which is which is essentially what marketing does. And I think that was so invaluable because obviously I don't want to just sit and create pretty things without understanding why I'm doing it and who I'm doing it for. And -hmm. understanding from the business perspective and the research perspective, which I found myself really intrigued in, even though the process itself in writing a thesis is really just like, like Mm -hmm. I found that understanding the whole insights part of marketing is what was really, really interesting to me. And that really like it drives me. And yeah, like, I learned a lot about economics, I learned a lot about how the world works. And I think that that knowledge, even though I'm in a creative space, even though I'm in a, I'm in a very customer facing space right now, that knowledge is not wasted on me because it allows me to understand, number one, how the world works, but also how consumers work, why consumers are the way they are. It allows me to draw insights from them and then create content or advise and consult on content that is best for them. So mm-hmm. it's weird because it's like my whole life has just been a balancing act of like, analytical versus creative and instead of like trying to choose between the two i found a way to balance both of them and i feel like that balance is something missing a lot in the business world i absolutely love that right because i think i think there is there is a perception um possibly i think in the world in general but i think also it still remains within our generation that um firstly sort of going back to to this idea that okay um you must be a doctor or an engineer. Like, you know, I think in an African sense, that is yeah. a big thing. It's like, you're only a success if that's what you are. And yeah. it's like, oh, no, we, we, must, we must break that down completely, actually. Because, Definitely. you know, if you wanted to be a doctor, you would have been a great doctor, right? You would have but, been a pretty good doctor. But you, you didn't want to be, right? And that's... And it's that's, very freeing that we're allowed to, to be able to say no and to do things out of want and for general fulfillment of ourselves and not out, out of necessity because mm. even now like my parents don't really understand what I do they're very supportive and very proud of me but they don't know what I do and how I make money and like they were even, my my dad was even telling my sister like if she gets a job offer please make her take it like make her get like a proper job just so that it's like financial security is paramount yeah. and, mm. like I think we have a lot more freedom to to live out of fulfillment instead of survival And I think that is something that is very, very powerful and something that we shouldn't take lightly, but also something that I think we owe ourselves to actually do is to look for things that fulfill us. But also harnessing, you know, your creative side with your analytical side. Now, what I loved is is the fact that you said, actually, I didn't have to choose between the two. Right. Because actually both of them are part of who you are. Right. Mm -hmm. You've actually then said, actually, this is a part of who I am. 
And hence, in whatever I do, right, it will form a part of that. And that knowledge that you sort of garnered and gained, I think, will always, you know, wherever you decide to go, will always form a big part of a big part of whatever it is that you do, right? And will always feed into that. So I think that that's incredibly important. I want us to talk a little bit about interning, right? Um, yes. So interning, you know, some people view it as a real big positive because it's like, okay, cool, I get to go and learn. Um, there are, you know, also views that actually, you know, it's, it's not nice because you're at the bottom of the food chain, as it were. Um, particularly, I think if you're smart, right, you almost feel like you're you're too smart to be being wasted. Your talents are being wasted. I wanna I wanna understand. You know, I you know you you invariably think that all you're gonna go do is make coffee for people and, and ask you know two sugars or three, right? I've only <laughs> ever actually done that twice. I was only ever asked to make coffee twice, and that was just a rite of passage that they made me do. <laughs> you probably got to do that once or twice, right? And then and then and then you're in. But I want to understand your experience, right? In your your various interning experiences, um. Particularly, why do you think it's important for for people to to go through that, um, and how it's helped you where you are today? Um, I think I'm going to preface this by just saying interning and the ability to intern is a privilege, yes. and especially in this country, it is a great privilege because our intern culture is terrible. I've spoken to some of my peers overseas in America and. When they intern, it's a job, you know, they get paid, they get stipends, they get like some sort of actual like that, like validation from the company. Like you're actually a part of us for a little bit. And the intern culture in South Africa is very much just exploitative labor. And the fact that all of my internships were unpaid throughout my entire life, I think that definitely speaks to my ability to um, afford internships like why should like you need to be able to actually take on the financial burden to be able to intern and I think that that's a huge issue because obviously that excludes a huge portion of the population already you know um so I just wanted to make that known that I don't necessarily agree with how internships are done in this country um but at the same time I do think that they are important especially when you are not sure of what you want to do with your life so Mm -hmm. I'm someone with many passions, many talents. I'm a jack of all trades, a master of some, you know what I mean? And I found that interning definitely helped me more than anything. It helped me figure out what I didn't want to do. I'd always um, seen these like romanticized and fantasized visions of certain industries and certain, and certain businesses and actually being in them and seeing what they do, seeing how they run, seeing their day to day. It gave me a more realistic approach and allowed me to assess more clearly, do I actually want to do this? Do I want to do some of it? Do I want to do all of it? Like, what is this thing? Do I actually know what I want to get into? You know what I mean? And that was the true value in internships for me. Well, actually, not really. The true value was networks. The networking was unmatched. And like so many of those networks and so many of those people definitely are still like in my contact list today. They're definitely people I can ask to help people who instead of now like this mental, like instead of this like employer employee type of relationship, we definitely have more of like a mutual understanding and like uh more 
we're on the same level in our relationship now. We respect yeah. each other in that way. And I think that that has been super helpful for me because literally, especially when you're creative, especially when you're a freelancer, your network is your net worth. It helps you get jobs. It helps you put your foot in the doors of places that have never heard your names. And I think that was the true takeaway for me is that the networks that I had was power, but also that I learned what industries and what work I actually didn't want to do. And the reason why I made such a huge effort to take every single holiday or at least all of my June breaks um, mm. to intern somewhere is because I was a student. I knew that like I didn't want to get to a point where I had graduated and then now I'm just like, oh, I have to start at the bottom with a blank CV and I don't exactly know what I want to do. So I tried to take all of my holidays to just like stay a few weeks or a month at a time at a particular business just so I could see, just so I could learn and then figure out, okay, I can cross that off my list. I can say I didn't want to do that. I can say I didn't want to do that. And then also being an Allen Grade candidate fellow at the time, they also kind of forced us to do it. So it's kind of like serendipitous in that point as well, where it's like, okay, now I actually have to, even if I don't want to, I need to at least get some work experience done. Um, but yeah, I think internships were, it was easier to do it as a student because you didn't, I personally didn't have to worry as much about the financial burden because it's like I didn't really need the money because I was a student on back, right? So I would have been at home anyway, so let me just be at work. But I definitely think the whole, the unpaid internships of it all is definitely a very contentious topic for me because especially having been in the spaces, you see the amount of work that you do. You see the amount of value that you give to a company. You see that your insights make a difference. You are making the company money, but then they don't want to make you any money. Yeah. <laughs> Something is right. Yeah, right. So I want to. I think that's that's really important because I think you've what you've touched on is is incredibly powerful. Um, but makeup artistry. How did that come about? Where where did that come from? Okay, so like I said, I'm a woman of many passions and a woman of many talents. And like I said, from the very young age, I've always been into fashion, glitz, and glamour of life. And mm. it actually came about. Uh, in first year which was 2015 and my cousin was getting married in Nigeria so we all flew out there to go be with her and we had a makeup artist come to our house to come and like do our faces and tie our gillies which is like the Nigerian headdresses and mm. I felt so good I was just like oh my gosh I look so pretty what the hell and then yeah. like my sister and I were talking about it. We're like, oh, this could be an interesting side hustle because it's like you're mobile. You could just go for a weekend, for weddings, parties, whatever. And like you could make, we did the conversions in our head. And at the time it was around like 600 grand per face. And like just your family, that's like an extra few thousands in your bank for the few weekends. Like that's actually, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and at the time it was quite interesting. I didn't really know much about beauty. I didn't really know. I, well, I knew, but like I didn't really know how to do my face yet because I wasn't really into makeup as a teenager. My mom wouldn't let me. So I actually came to varsity with like nothing. And if you could see where I'm sitting right now and all the stuff that I'm looking at, you would be shocked. Um, so makeup truly is a collection that you build up over time. And that's what I started doing thereafter. I started, um, buying pieces like every time I go to Discam, I'd walk through that beauty aisle and be like "Ooh, this is cute and I pick things up and then I'd learn I'd watch YouTube tutorials and I'd learn and learn and learn and then in at the end of 2016 so that was Christmas for season two in Cape Town and if you yeah. remember season two I remember that thing, yeah. <laughs> it was lit and yeah. I was going through the most at the time and I chose not to defer any of my exams because I was just like I want to 
right? And then I want to get out of Cape Town. Like, I want to go. I want to leave. <laughs> so, um, and obviously, we only started again in March. So that yeah. was like three months off. And I was just like, I want to do something with my time. So I was like, okay, make- I was really into makeup at that time. I started my YouTube channel. I started blogging a bit more about it. And that's when I... um. I had to sit down and I had to actually draw up a presentation and put and a pitch to my parents because I was mm. like, listen, listen, I want to do this and I think I can do this and I think I can make some money. I just need some capital investment from you guys. If you could just give me some miles on your flight, if you could just invest so and so in a course and shout out to the Naira being so weak because it really made it super affordable for me because <laughs> I did a cost comparison. I was like going to makeup school here versus going to makeup school there. It's cheaper for you guys to buy me a flight and pay for my school. I'll stay with my aunt. Like I planned it all out. I did like a this is when I'll break even. This is how many clients I need. Like I did the whole thing. My parents bought into the pitch. So so I went to Nigeria and then my mom was also just like, hmm, you can make money from this. Let me also yeah. learn so I can help you also make some, some yeah. coin. Because my mom is also like very entrepreneurial minded like that. She sees an opportunity. She's like, you can make money. I can make money. Let's yeah, do this. Let's go. <laughs> so I went to makeup school um, and I did a course there. And obviously because school was starting soon, I couldn't do the full thing. But luckily my mom knows someone who knew someone. So we managed to get some extra lessons and condense the course into a shorter period of time. And I finished it. I did a pretty good job if I do say so myself. And I came back and I was like, okay, business, let's, let's boom. And definitely it was a bit of a slow start, but like, I think, it was a it was a very important learning curve for me because obviously the way Nigerians do makeup and the way South Africans do makeup is a bit different. So you do have to adjust according to the local taste. You have to yeah. adjust according to people's expectations. And I did a lot of learning. I met a lot of incredible people and a lot of people that I do business with to this day. And yeah, it was just it was it just became a thing. <laughs> so is that where Faces by Foyan started? Um, it, it, or you know. If, if it's not, let, let's talk about where it started. Um, okay, so it kind of actually started when all my friends in res needed makeup done and they'd always come to my room. That's where it started for real, before I even mm-hmm. went to school, where the res gals just needed me actually, to do it was actually before It was actually before you went for the course. Um, yeah. And, okay, so so the the idea of establishing something and, you know, establishing a business, the business side of it, um. I find that really, really, really insightful and interesting. I want to know, so was that always part of the plan? Um, and I'm talking both, you know, foyanog.com and Face by Foyan Makeup Artistry. Was this something that you say, like, for example, wrote down in 2011, and you were like, I want to start this, that, this, that? <laughs> or did it sort of come along, you know, by the way, like, a okay, hold on, this is an opportunity, I'm here, let's do it. It was definitely very much opportune. The makeup artistry of it all was definitely an opportunistic moment that I just seized. It was because a girl needed some money. We needed some extra change. So it was definitely like the coming together of an opportunity and skill set. And that's why I also made the decision that I wanted to, I wanted to buckle down. I wanted to go to school. I wanted to build up a kit that way because you can do it on your own. And I am relatively self-taught to this day. A lot of the techniques I've learned and I use are from self-education. But yeah. going to school definitely helped me build up my kit in a very cost-effective and quick way. Um, mm-hmm. So that I will not take for granted. But when I tell you what I wanted to do when I was younger, 
I will definitely say I am living that dream. My dream, when I was 13 years old, I told my mom, I don't want to work. I want to get paid to tweet. And here we are. <laughs> so I, I foresaw the influencer industry. You know, my mind is so powerful. I manifested it into when, existence. When, 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 when did that, when did you tell your mom that? I think I was literally 13 or 14. I think it was like, what, 2009, 2010? Yeah. Because yeah. she was just like, yeah, I just started high school and she just wanted to know, like, what do you actually want to do? And I was just like, mom, I don't want to work. I want to get paid to tweet. I just, hmm. I like talking. I want to get paid to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. So let's 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 turn the temperature down a little bit. We we sort of dived into your to your life story, and you know, I think by now, um, you know, people sort of get to know you or have already sort of got to know you um, fairly well. But to sort of bring it bring it around to sort of your daily life. Tell me a little bit about what's your what's your daily routine like? Um so a typical day in your life. But I wanna let's let's talk about pre pre, you know, global pandemic, right? What was that like? And sort of now, you know, juxtapose those two for me in terms of your daily routine. So I'll definitely say pre pandemic, I spent a lot more time outside. I spent a lot more time socializing because mm-hmm. The nature of social media is to be social. When yes. you are an influencer, you spend a lot of time creating content and you create content with other people. So even if it's with other influencers, you go out on shoots or you go out for lunch or you meet and like strategize or cr- collaborate to create content, you spend a lot of time with other people. And yeah. definitely events were a huge part of of not only my social calendar, but also the work calendar. Product mm. launches are a big deal for brands and influencers alike. And yeah. they're a great networking opportunity. They're a great time to meet the brand, meet the marketing managers, get established with them on a face-to-face basis. Because then when it's time to start doing the rollout for the campaigns, you're present in their minds. So yeah. it was definitely a very opportune moment. And those are the things that we miss so much right now. But mm. like, my my general routine is definitely more or less the same. Um, and you'll find that a lot of my time is spent being at home, being in bed, being on the couch and being on my phone or being on my laptop. And it seems like I spend a lot of time on social media, but literally there is so much power in cultivating that online presence and you need to maintain it and you need to engage with people. And that is literally what I spend most of my day doing. So mm-hmm. I'll take you through. Um, what, how my week, this week is seven days, seven faces, which is my makeup challenge. And I'll take you through how this week goes. Basically, I wake up in the morning and from about like 7.38 ish until like half past nine, 10 ish, I'm on my phone. I'm going through my socials, um, for the day, seeing what's happening. I'm checking in on posts that I posted previously, responding to comments, replying to DMs and responding to emails. Then mm. I get up at around 10 o'clock ish that's when i decide i'm gonna start my makeup for the day Mm. um depending on the look that i want to do and that's when i start filming so i film simultaneously usually if it's for a youtube video um that i'm filming a review or something like that i will film for youtube and instagram simultaneously and i'll just like chop the bits that i need for each platform and sometimes i'll try film a tiktok in between it's very difficult to film like simultaneously and syndicate content but like you try to maximize the time as much as you can and then that's why god made editing because then you just cut things out and it's fine (laughs) yeah and that usually takes about like an hour an hour and a half and 
Then I have to like write down all of the products that I've used and edit the photos. Like I transfer the photos from my camera onto my phone or through my laptop. It's easier. And I airdrop them to my phone. I make my final selects and I mm. edit them and then I post them on Instagram at around noonish. I aim for midday. Um, and then, um, it's, it's tricky because the first hour or so of a post is literally the most crucial time for YouTube video on Instagram. You need to always make time to be available immediately after you post because that initial engagement and then you responding to that engagement definitely helps your post fight the algorithm. It yes, definitely yes. gets it up to the top. It definitely keeps it to the forefront, brings your instant story to the beginning. So you need to be on the ball. You need to be responding to people. You need to be engaging with people. And then obviously I post on Twitter and Instagram. So I'm constantly going between the two apps, trying to respond, acknowledge, respond, acknowledge, you know? And then after that, I eat for the first time. <laughs> so I have lunch. Um, and it's fine because I've started intermittent fasting. So I actually only aim to eat like around like noon one. So that's when I have my lunch break. Um, mm. and then I come back and then obviously see who's commented and stuff and address that engagement. And then I edit the video for the, for the makeup look that I just posted. And then that goes out at around like half past four five. And then obviously once again, we have to be on the ball with engagement posting things like that um and then yeah so in between all of this i actually have another job i am an engagement manager for an agency so i always have to check in on the corporate clients and i always have to manage and respond to those comments on social media so i i manage their like all of their platforms um but just for engagement I'm, i just have to check that everything is okay they're not being dragged um respond to any positive things flag any negative things as such um and i check in twice a day so around like 10 right before i do my makeup i do that and then after i post my video i also check in again um and then i kind of just call it a day in terms of like working and then the rest of it is obviously just social media bans but then we're still constantly checking in we're responding we're doing insta stories we like just constantly have to you constantly have to be online and that's yeah. one of the most difficult things because it's so easy to categorize certain things as work as in like filming and doing my makeup as work. And then you'd think that I'm on Twitter and I'm not working. All of that all is super important in maintaining my brand and in maintaining my social media presence. So my screen time on my iPhone swears at me every single week, but it needs to mind its business because I this is my job. My phone is in my hand constantly <laughs> because I have to always be online. Always. And I think, and I think one thing is, you know, a lot of people probably underestimate how much work that is. That's an, incredible, that's an incredible amount of work. And it, it takes an incredible amount of discipline and meticulousness to do yeah. what you do. All right. And, and to do it so well, I, I think, I think it's, it's definitely something which I think people need to, need to take note of and to acknowledge, right? Because. Yeah to respect it a lot more than they do because it's so easy to see it as vapid and fickle but imagine you literally had to be online every single day of the week you had to create content shoot for instagram like a few weeks ago my friend and i we rented an airbnb and we just churned out content for instagram mm. and it may seem really like fickle but that is the kind of content that matters because people yeah. get to engage with you people get to see your face people get to talk to you you get to provide value in those bits and moments that you do post so you always have to have something you always have to be creating something so there's no downtime not at all like ever because the problem is social media is 24 7 right so exactly. you it's it's there is there is a downtime because downtime is is missed time 
So it's, exactly. it's, it's one of those things. But so, you know, coming back to sort of you um, and getting to know you a little bit better, what are your favorite restaurants to to go to? Um, I know you said that, you know, pre-lockdown, you spend a lot of time sort of outside socializing and all of that. I'm quite curious. In Cape Town, um, I'd like to, to hear one in Cape Town, uh, having been a Cape Town resident myself. Um, and then also one in, in, in Joburg as well. Um, I can't tell you where I go to eat anymore. Like, that feels like a distant I, memory. I have also like, I'm trying to think, like, where did I go to eat? What did I do in Cape Town? Like, like, like the other day I drove past the airport and I was like, what is this thing? <laughs> it passed. When last time I boarded a flight? Like, I really loved Villa, Villa 47. Like, I love that place. Um, for all special occasions and stuff, I ended up going there. It was, it's just, it's a good restaurant. I like, I like my burger and lobster, a lobster roll for the days when I'm feeling rich. Um, nice. Very nice. Yeah, things, oh, um, downtown ramen became a huge favorite of mine last year. Like, I got really into ramen. Um, but in, I live in the southern suburbs, and where I live, my Uber Eats menu is really, really, really not great. So, my, one of my, like, <laughs> my treats to myself, obviously beyond, like, a little oishi sushi that my sister loves, it's just, like, there's this Chinese place called Tong Lok, and they just do an incredible beef fried rice. And when I tell you that they pack that container to the brim, Oh my gosh, you are getting your money's worth. You'll eat that thing for two days. It's so good. But like, wow, all of the places in town, oh, I really like, I can't even tell you anymore. That's how long it's felt in my life. I really love milk and honey. Amazing cocktail, ah. incredible cocktails. But yeah, jo- Joburg though. Joburg seems, I was in Joburg right before lockdown. So I think okay. that's a fresh in my mind. I'm a Jameli baby. I love my Jamili. Oh, I love my Jamili. <laughs> also because it's close to my house. So when I go for lunch with friends, that's the only place that they want to drive to. <laughs> um, like Jamili's the closest that they'll ever come to my side of life. <laughs> um, and yeah, I tried some new places. Um, oh, there was in Santon. It was called like, uh, like it was something on the park or on the lawns. It was this beautiful place. Do you oh, know what I'm talking about? In Santon? Um. Yeah, for the life of I haven't, I haven't. Oh, actually, really? <laughs> I just like, don't know. Like, like, what is what is restaurant? What you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. That yeah. place of park. Yeah, that place. Um, yeah. If if anybody from there is listening, sorry, we just forgot <laughs> the restaurant. It's been a while. It's been, it's been a while since we've been outside. I can't even tell you my favorite restaurant. But it was so frustrating because, like, right before lockdown, I was really trying to, like, go to new places, try new things, try out new restaurants. And now Man. I can't even name them. So God. Keeping, keeping within that, if if I had to give you a jet, right? Not that I Bali. have a jet. I'm going to Bali. I'm going to Bali. <laughs> I'm going to Bali. And I'm saying this because... I was supposed to go to Bali. Like, me and my friend, we made a plan in October. We were going to Bali. Like, we were going. It was going to happen. Um, because at the end of end of Varsity, we saved up and we went to Dubai. That was our graduation trip to ourselves. We went to Dubai and it was delicious and lovely. And then, like, last year, we couldn't travel because work was just not great. And I'd started freelancing and stuff. So this year, we were like, no, we're going to do it. We're going to get the Bali trip that we deserve. And then, yeah. now, look, COVID and- came and did the old. <laughs> It just, yeah, took Bali from us. So I'm going to get Bali back. Okay. Like, 
<laughs> so let's let's talk about um the future of of beauty and fashion in in Africa. Um and I'm really excited for this for this part of 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 the segment um because so you're a you're a Nigerian currently living in in South Africa and you know I I'm a Zimbabwean currently living in South Africa and you know we I think in 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 Africa in general there's a lot of mobility um amongst Africans in different countries yeah. um and I'm assuming that you like me you know have had to sort of think about this identity concept of you know being an African citizen right having lived in you know three different countries like who am I actually yeah right? it's it's a bit existential it's a, very, it's a huge identity crisis it's Constantly. a huge identity crisis but I, I want us to to preface this topic with that um, first, when before we actually talk about you know beauty and fashion in Africa, in terms of how you sort of grown in that identity of who you are as a person, um, based on you know where you've been, where you've grown up, you know the values that you think have sort of come across through um, from you know your your sort of cultural heritage, um, mm-hmm. but also from your physical location as well. Um. It's a very, this is a very like interesting and tricky and difficult question for me. It mm. always is. Um, especially when you, you've lived in South Africa the majority, if not all of your life. And then you've also seen the xenophobic violence that comes with being in this country and being foreign. So it's like, this is your home, but you're not welcome in your home. And I feel like that definitely informs a lot of your perceptions at, about identity and about rejecting or accepting your identity. Um, <laughs> I'm very proudly Nigerian. Um, I'm very, very proudly Nigerian. But like something that always has been difficult for me is not being able to bridge the language gap in Nigeria and in here. So my parents made a very concerted effort for us to speak English when we came here. So they didn't teach us our, our mother tongue because they wanted us to assimilate as best as we could. Um, and it's, it's frustrating because obviously you try to assimilate, but at the very same time, you're very different. You are visibly like they open your ID, they see all of the different everything. Like you are very much not from here. It's very clear. <laughs> so it's been difficult to try and balance this like foreignness, but also this localness at the same time, because SA is my home. It's the only home that I've ever known truthfully. So this is this is where I I take pride in being from, but I'm also very proudly Nigerian. And those are the only contexts that I can speak from, especially when I talk about the future of Africa and business and beauty and fashion. That is mm. the context that I'm coming from, is from a Nigerian and South African background. And luckily, those two are very like prominent in the media, in the diaspora, in popular culture. So uh, they are powerhouses with which to reckon. But like at the same time, they're also at war with each other. Or maybe well, it's not really a war when one side is fighting but you know what I mean? There's a lot of conflict in yes, being a Nigerian in a South African space. Um, there's a there's a lot of trepidation in even saying that out loud because you never know how people will respond. And I think when speaking of heritage, when speaking about culture, when speaking about Africanness, we can't exclude that xenophobic nature from from the conversation because that also informs how I not perform my pride, but how I revel in my ancestry, in my lineage, in this country, because that is something with which to reckon. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I think at, while while I have to definitely think a little bit harder of who I I expose my ancestry to, it also is it is something that is very, very vocal for me. I'm very, very proud of that fact. And it definitely informs everything that I do. And mm. 
yeah, like it's very much a part of me. It's 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 integral in who I am. Just like my creativity and my insight, the the Yoruba in me doesn't disappear anyway, just because I've been in Cape Town. And it's like Cape Town definitely feels like Cape Town is a different space to be in, mostly because beyond even my Nigerianness in the South African space, it's very much about now my blackness in mm-hmm. mostly white spaces. And I put that in quotes because whatever. Just- yeah, it really yeah, becomes like, complicated. It becomes that type of thing where it's like now even to just exist before you even know my name, just to exist in that space now becomes a different issue. So Cape Town has its own has its own grapples with with Afrocentricity because it's like it's still it's still trying to embrace certain aspects. It's trying to balance the whiteness that they hold with prestige, but also trying to grapple with their violent history of anti-blackness. So yeah. it's, it's, it's always just a really tricky balancing act of trying to exist with your multiple, um, what I want to, I don't want to say personalities, but with your multiple identities in the, mm. that space. Um, mm. I definitely, I feel like in Joburg, it's much easier to breathe. <laughs> um, but like, they also that then that becomes now my nationality is my forefront, but in Cape Town it's like there's still that kind of like trepidation when entering a space because you don't know how they're gonna react. Mm-hmm. And coming now to the to the beauty and fashion industry, um, do you think we we are tapping into our cultural heritage and values enough when we when we actually define what is beautiful and fashionable fashionable in an African sense? Um, do you think that is something that we do enough? I think, you know, through your experience in, in both industries, um, I'm quite keen to get your take on that. You know, I think obviously not. The answer is no, very clearly no. Um, but I think I'm also in two minds about it because there's one thing that I really wish we could do, especially in 2020 going forward. And I feel like it's just letting people exist and breathe. And I feel like we're still spending too much time trying to validate our experience ourselves in these spaces that were clearly not made for us and it's not to say that we must go make our own spaces because I always find that a very lazy argument um calling out racism or oppression in a space doesn't mean that we should all just go move somewhere else no we need to dismantle the oppression in that space but I feel like we spend too much time explaining ourselves and I think it was Toni Morrison who said that the very function of racism is to keep is a distraction to keep explaining to constantly keep explaining explaining to validate yourself in the eyes of an oppressor who doesn't validate you and that's something that I want us to be very cognizant of in the beauty and fashion industry and I think it's very important that we are proud in our blackness that we are proud in our Africanness we are proud in our heritage and our ancestry but at the same time we do not exist to only be that if you know what I mean like I think there's a buzzword, especially after Beyonce's Black is King that came out, or even more specifically before it came out, was the Wakandification of Africa. And yes. I think that was a very important conversation to have in general. I don't think Beyonce was as problematic as we thought she would be. There was this thing where people wanted to hop onto Africa as a trend and to mm. pick and choose different parts of African identities in in attempts to perform this sort of like super wokeness to be like, look, Africa, Africa, the future, this and that. But it's also just like Africans have been here. Africans have always been here. And give them the space to showcase themselves as they exist instead of trying to make them perform in a way that you view Africa. 
And I think this is a very important distinction. And especially when we are entering international spaces and speaking with international brands and working with international brands, they have a perception of Africa and they want us to live up to that perception. They want things to be overly tribal. They want things to be overly African. They, they want things to scream wokeness because it helps them validate themselves and all of their and grappling with their like difficult past. Yeah. And I understand that need, but at the same time, Africans exist just as you, just as they exist. Like we exist as people and we don't always have to enter the space carrying the continent on our backs. We don't yeah. have to perform this sort of hyper Africanized blackness in order to be valid. We are valid because we exist, not yeah. because you need us to perform in a certain way. So yeah. that's kind of where I am in 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 my understanding of it and in my like expectations of it i want black people and african people to just exist and not always have to perform and validate their existence with some sort of caveat and some sort of like they have to be the african one the super african one coming through with the ankara and kente and like you know wearing the orishas on their back like you don't have to be that kind of person if you are it's great but like we that should not be the expectation of african excellence we yeah. should be allowed the platform to be creative as much as we want and it's like a weird comparison and i'm not in any way disparaging one or the other but the success of makosa and tebe magugu is a very interesting comparison because makosa is successful because he is brilliant but he also has this tangible africanness to him that people respond to really well like look he is wearing like the cultural patterns and prints he is putting that forward to the world and the world gets to feel like they have a taste of africa because he is so visibly wearing the africanness whereas his fashion style is so is very much more contemporary and classic and it's much more like not like other fashion designers but it's just it's fashion it's beautiful fashion that exists because it's beautiful fashion and Mm -hmm his praise and he won the LVMH prize because he makes beautiful fashion and his work does have a lot of African influences and a lot of cultural sim- symbolism and like a lot of like odes to his heritage but mm. he doesn't have to shout it from the rooftops in order to That's- be valid in those spaces not saying that the other one does but as in like he gets to exist as a fashion designer who is African <laughs> instead of like the Africanness is the only thing that is coming before his fashion mm. if that makes sense mm. Mm. i think that's a brilliant that's a brilliant answer to a very very difficult question um i mean when, when i when i wrote that question down i was like sure like this is, <laughs> what I, is the I, I, I don't know what the answer is right and i don't think there is a single answer to it i think it's a question that we need to grapple with and Definitely. and i think it's an absolutely important topic that we need to discuss and that we need to bring to the fore. So following on from that, you know, how do you think we carve out, right, the future for African-inspired designs, right, the design arm of things, but also African-inspired content, right, um, in the future? Specifically, how do you think society needs to mature in this regard to allow for it to exist as you as you've rightly pointed out i think we definitely need a lot more access and mm-hmm. platforms and opportunities and i think we need those platforms and access and opportunities to exist in a way that doesn't want something specific so yeah. 
it's not that you can only be here if you look a certain way or you perform Africanness in a certain way. We need to allow Africa to be multifaceted because it is. It's multicultural. Africa is a continent with 54 countries. We are not going to look the same, sound the same, dress the same, have the same ideas. And we need to create opportunities and give funding and access and platforms and accessibility to those different Africans in order to exist. We need to give them the platform to exist however they so wish. And in order to to do that, I feel like one thing that we definitely have to grapple with is decolonizing our view of ourselves. And Mm. it's so because we are in Africa, but we are still dealing with a colonial legacy. And you see it in our laws, you see it in our politicians, you see it in the the way that we have such stringent patriarchy. We see it in the way that we have such stringent trans and homophobia. We see it in the misogyny. We see it in every single place that we are and it's like people think that Africa and African cultures and societies are that way because that is how they have been but it's like no if you go all the way back if you go before colonialization we were quite equitable societies Mm. there were gender fluid people in positions of prominence like there wasn't there women were raised up into positions of leadership and power you know Mm. like these kinds of oppressive systems and societies that have definitely stifled a lot of our growth and development on ours and in order to progress forward and take up the space that we need to in South Africa I mean in African societies we definitely need to remove those metaphorical shackles on ourselves and yeah. I think it's very very important and integral to notice this because across continents across decades across civilization queer people have been pioneers have been Mm. innovators and when you look at what they've done in fashion in music in beauty in television in film they they have ideas like everyone else but in african countries and societies where we criminalize them where we penalize them where we like diminish their ability to even just like live let alone create we are Mm. robbing of so much brilliance that can be brought forward you know what I mean and I think those are the types of things we have to grapple with especially in creative industries because there's so much growth there are so many ideas there's so much brilliance that is there but then when you have an oppressive mindset when you're shutting down so many voices before you can even like before they can speak you can't be surprised when people don't want to hear yours you know what I mean in order to to be heard we need to listen first and I think that's definitely what's holding us back obviously we have infrastructure problems obviously there's other things but in terms of pure creativity and access and like platforms that exist we need to be able to allow people to present themselves and come to these platforms however they exist without fear without without stifling or debilitating their abilities Mm. yeah that's 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 extremely profound um it's it's opening up that access, right, yeah. for people to be their best selves without having to conform to an idea of what best is. Exactly. Right? I think that's 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 extremely. I think you've 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 put it extremely well, and I think that's that's extremely profound as well. I want us to move to a topic that I'm sure everybody is is waiting for us to talk about. <laughs> um, which, <laughs> And we're finally here, which is, um, you know, being an influencer, right, in the beauty and lifestyle industry. So 
and I know within our conversation we've touched on you know bits of this, but um, you are obviously a very extremely influential person across your your social media channels. Um, I want to know right how you've intentionally sort of carved this brand out. Um, if we can, we can take it all the way back to the to the 2009 Twitter streets, right? When you joined, when you joined, right from there. Um, but also, you know, so to to also sort of bring a question in from one of the listeners, um, you know, which says, and I, I'm directly quoting here, you know, how how do you grow your following on Instagram as a new young makeup artist? Um, I know consistency is one of the things that's important, right? But I am in, I am consistent in my posting, but my following is not growing. What other things did you do to gain following? So I'm also just, you know, plugging that question in there as well. Um, and the other question is, which I'm also plugging in there as well, is how did you grow your following? Which I guess is a similar question to, to have what I'm asking, except yeah. what I'm asking is more around the, the brand side of things and the intentionality of your brand, right? Um, did it take long and did you ever get discouraged at first? Um, so all of those are essentially the same question to me. Mm. And I think they all have the same answer. And that is, number one, it takes a hell of a long time. And number two, you spoke about intentionality. And I think that was quite important. And I think to touch on that, basically, like I said, I've been doing this for a very long time. Mm. One of my priding moments is that I had Instagram before Justin Bieber. But like, mm. if you look at my following, if you look at all my statistics across my social media platforms, they may not be where you'd expect them to be, right? However, that doesn't necessarily diminish my influence. It doesn't diminish my network. It doesn't diminish my ability and my knowledge and my value as a person. If anything, mm. that shows that I've stood the test of time and time and hard work and consistency pays off. But the mm. one thing that I will air in, um, echo in my, in how I got to where I am is that authenticity sort of predates consistency, if you know what I mean? Because you can pinpoint an aesthetic that is trending on Instagram right now and you mm. can replicate it and you can replicate it every single day for six months, but you may get absolutely nowhere because it's not you. You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah. I think there's something that's very, very important in that in these however many years that I've been on social media, I have been the same person. I have always been vocal on social issues. I have always been passionate about pop culture and beauty and fashion. I've always been creating from a place of what I want to see and what I want to do. And when you look at my feeds, when you look at my content, you can see the places where I I was unsure. You can see the places where I doubted myself and I wanted to quit. You can see the places where I tried to replicate other people's success and methodology because it, what I was doing wasn't currently working for me. But you can also see that those phases didn't last because they weren't working. You know what I mean? And like I said, you can try to be consistent doing someone else's thing, but it will never work because people are smarter than you think. They can easily pinpoint when something is inauthentic. And one thing that a lot of people, especially on Instagram, definitely underrate is personality. And people fall in love with people. They don't fall in love with Instagram accounts. They don't fall in love with beautiful aesthetics. They yes. fall in love with people. Even if your pictures are taken on an iPhone 6S and used with the Valenciaga filter, 
They mm-hmm. will love you because you are you. If you yeah. record YouTube videos on a Huawei P30 and upload them with zero editing and they're 45 minutes long, if people mm-hmm. like you, you will have 100,000 subscribers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of people try too hard to, number one, replicate other people's success, but also just sound like an influencer and look like an influencer instead of trying to actually do something worth influencing. Mm-hmm. And that's for the longest time I ran away from the influencer title because I also don't believe that influencer is a title. I think you are a beauty influencer. You are a fashion influencer. You are a tech influencer. You don't have influence for influence sake. You have influence for a reason. And many people are trying to, trying to just get the fame, trying to get the followers, trying to get the free things from brands, but they aren't actually doing anything worth influencing. You know what I mean? And in order to get to a place worth of influence, you need to build relationships with your followers. You need to engage with your followers. You need to grow a community that trusts your voice. And that is what I've spent a long time doing is just growing people who trust me, who support me, who are willing to engage with me and who trust my opinion such that they will spend their money. You need to spend time building up your credibility. And if you aren't growing then it's time to relook at your strategy because you need to assess are you providing value value that actually matters and not value for value's sake because sometimes you'll do a hell of a long instagram caption but no one actually cares you know like sometimes mm. post yourself and go you know but it's like the nuggets of value that you are providing do they matter do they resonate but then also resonate with who who are you mm. trying to speak to who are you targeting where are they What are their needs? What do they actually want help with? Who are you trying to speak to? And as more people enter the beauty space, that becomes even more important. You need to become very, very defined in your niche because Mm. there are so many other people they can turn to. So why should they turn to you? Is it because you took a picture from Pinterest with a rose on a bedsheet? No, that doesn't mean anything to them. That doesn't help them. You know what I mean? You need to be able to provide value to them in a meaningful way. And mm. only once you've done that, consistency starts to pay off. You know what I mean? Because then they know you as reputable. They know yeah. that they can come to you. You will respond. You will engage. You are someone that they can talk to who, like, is on their level, who relates to them as a human being. Because that's where the, that's where the true power of influencer marketing comes through. It is yeah. speaking to someone who speaks back to you in your language, on your level, someone you can relate to. And obviously there are different types of influences and aspirational influences also exist. But in general, it's this kind of word of mouth marketing on steroids where someone has a trusted opinion where you can keep coming back to them. And then obviously you do have to have a marketing strategy and a marketing approach. And that's why people sleep on Insta stories so much. They are super impactful. They are a really easy and good way to get authentic relationships with your followers and to build those and to engage with them and also collaboration collaborating with other people in your niche collaborating with with certain people who are in adjacent niches who can Mm. help amplify you but also you provide value to them like you need to at least be beneficial to them have good rapport banter with them you can't just want them to put you on because that's not a not a relationship you know what i mean and those are the things that you need to cultivate and develop and unfortunately they take time you know it's not a quick fix you can't become an influencer overnight because you'll you'll skyrocket you can buy followers you can do all of that stuff but it won't last and that's what you want you want longevity and that is something that takes a long time to build up Mm, mm, that's a fantastic answer and i think (laughs) that the 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 patience 
that's required, the consistency that's also required. But before any of that, the authenticity of the content is is absolutely critical. I I want to ask you, um, you know, what are the challenges that you've had, right, in in getting to the point that you have got to, um, specifically, sort of touching on the, the you know, do you, do you ever find yourself having wanting to take a break, um, from what you do? So does it ever sort of get consuming, um, in that sense? And how do you sort of manage and take care of yourself, um, through through your profession? Um. Well, you caught me at a terrible time because I want to like log off everything and go read a book. For, like, like that's what I really want to do right now. Like, I want to just like burn all of my screens and all of my makeup brushes and then just want to go away. I'm so tired. <laughs> like, I'm really experiencing a burnout right now. But I think one thing that I've realized that I work best in is that I work best in bursts. Um, and I think I'm not sure if you know Mashudu Mash Startup. He yeah. He mentioned something that I found very, not profound, but it just put into words something that I've always experienced, but I haven't been able to articulate because it sounds bad and it doesn't sound like entrepreneurial. And basically, I like to work super productively for a short period of time and then take time off. Like he said, like two weeks on and then two weeks off. And I prefer that versus one month on all the time. I don't have the capacity for one month on all the time. I burn out super easily. I get overwhelmed. I get anxious. And it does become a lot to handle. But I find that like in those two weeks when I'm on, if or even those random days, sometimes will be like once or twice a week, that day, I will get everything done. I will yeah. respond to everything, pitch to brands, film a YouTuber, Instagram. I will do ev- everything. But then don't ask me to do anything tomorrow. You know what yeah. I mean? And it doesn't sound great. It doesn't sound entrepreneurial. doesn't sound super beautiful. But honestly, that is the only way that I can find this pace sustainable. Because like I said, I don't get days off. I work mm. Sunday or, to Sunday, like every single day, I'm online all the time and I have to be, you know. Um, so definitely finding those days where you can just take time away because you filmed the content last week. Mm-hmm. Those are the joys, like pre, pre-shooting, pre-filming. Those are the things that like definitely help me manage everything a little bit better because it does get really overwhelming all the time. And sometimes like, there has been there have been moments of doubt where I just wanted to quit, where I didn't want to do this anymore. But then I've also realized that the life that I'm building for myself is something that I get to control and I get to own and I get to create. And I think that is something incredibly not underrated, but is incredibly powerful that not a lot of people get to do. And yes, it's difficult, but lots of things are difficult. But this just means I get to do something that's difficult, but on my terms. And doing this on my terms, in my time, definitely makes it all worth it. Like, there's obviously the doubt that comes with comparing yourself to others. Why am I not growing like this one? Why am I I not doing that? But one of the things that definitely has helped me is also just to track my progress and to say that I'm doing so much better than I was a few months ago. I've improved so much more. I screenshot everything, every positive comment, every positive DM. I screenshot them because I keep them for the days where I just want to give up because Mm -hmm. I know that the work that I do, even if it doesn't seem super important to other people, it matters to to some people. And the fact that it matters is enough. Like it doesn't need Mm -hmm. to matter to you because it's not for you, you know, it's for them and they Mm -hmm. love it. 
So that's what keeps me going. Mm, that's a that's a really that's a really great answer, and I think I, I it's it's reality, right? Yeah. It might not be what what people see, right, or what or what people perceive it to be, but that is reality, and I think it's important to 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 talk about it and to, to air that out. Um. So, to what extent do you think your your influence can can play in bringing light to social issues, particularly, and further educating people in that space? And particularly within this, I want to ask you, what do you think is the best way to do this? Directly addressing issues head on, right? Or indirectly so by the nature of the content that you produce or a mix of both? Um, I definitely do a mix of both. Some mm. things require me to say, hey, guys, racism is bad. Like, sometimes <laughs> you have to spell it out for people. Like, <laughs> I, like guys... Anti-Semitism is bad. Like, no, transphobia is bad. Like sometimes you have to see it so that people will know and never be confused. But yes. at the same time, I feel like I live such an authentic experience. Like I live such an authentic life that if you know anything about me, you know that I'm about it. You know what I mean? Mm. Like you mm. know that my voice is there when it matters. You mm. don't need me to perform. And that's the one thing that I really hate. And June and Black Lives Matter and everything going on there. June particularly bothered me because the one thing that I saw was a lot of performances with nothing behind it. I saw empty gestures. I saw vapid symbolism. And I was just like, this is not helpful. It's not doing anything for the cause. And it's it's selfish. That's the one thing that I hated the most. Because you saw people performing because they wanted to look good. They wanted other people to think that they're good people. They wanted mm. to hop onto a trend and sound socially conscious. There was a time where I had a, an influencer who I followed and known for a long time, but like she didn't really like say much about my content, but she posted me because she wanted to say, hey, here's some black influencers to post. And I got an influx of white Afrikaans followers. And I'm like, what are you doing here? You're following me because you feel bad. This does nothing for you. They've never engaged with my content since. I think they've even unfollowed me since. And I'm like, that's what I don't want because that doesn't do anything for me. That doesn't do anything for the cause. That doesn't help in any way, shape or form. It's to make you feel better. And I don't care about your feelings, to be honest. I really don't. And the one thing that I definitely did echo a lot in that time because that frustration got so so loud that it got so tangible during that time is that like honestly open your purse like that's the one thing that I kept saying just open your purse shut your mouth and open your purse because you don't have the range you don't have the vocabulary you don't have the knowledge and I want you to I want you to get the knowledge but I don't want you to come here and posture and pretend and do vapid symbolism when you're not actually doing any of the work and if you you don't know what the work is Give your money to people who already are doing your work. These issues have been in existence for the longest time. So if you are unable to directly do anything about them, support those who are. Give your money to organizations. Donate to um, shelters. Give your money to the families of victims. Like Use your power however you have it. But for me, a lot of my power comes in being able to articulate these feelings. It becomes, it's, it's able to articulate this knowledge that I have through anecdotal experiences, through my own research and education. But like, that is a huge part of my platform is that I am able to articulate and I am able to verbalize these things and give people the tools on what they can do when they feel like they don't 
aren't able to do anything. But I don't like this nece- like this necessity to constantly perform that I'm this girl, that I'm the woke one, that I care. You know I care. I care all the time. I say that I care. But like mm. it shows in my work that I care. It shows in who I create for that I care. It shows in the organizations that I give my money to that I care. But the fact that you want people to perform that they care rather than actually do the work and give their money and put their, their like actual livelihoods behind these causes is hugely problematic because the empty symbolism it doesn't last the yeah. biggest example i think of it blowing up right now is bon appetit like a the food blog yeah. they were hugely criticized and they were like we're going to be better we're going to be better and then this past week they've had so many people resign because they were like they said they were going to be better but then they didn't offer me any money they didn't promote me they didn't da, 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 da. and it's like that was what they that's all they needed to do is pay their staff give people credit you know increase their empowerment but they didn't do that. And that's where empty symbolism falls flat. Mm-hmm. It, it, it becomes very dangerous, actually, because it allows it allows for for everybody to think that they, the change has happened. Right? Yeah. And that we, we're making progress. But actually, in reality, it's, it's just a whole bunch of empty gestures. And I think it's incredibly important to to back that up with action. Um, I think that that message that you're putting out is really is really really important in 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 times like these and in these spaces. Finally, you know, I oh, I, sorry, I just have another comment that like especially on the corporate side of this. Sorry, yeah. because this is something I did touch in a video, and it's like brands and corporations are capitalist by nature, and capitalism thrives on bigotry. It thrives on exploitation. They are not inherently ethical beings, so it's very difficult to expect a human standard of ethicalness in a business and that's why my line of open your purse matters so much to me because Mm. even if you are a business and you do make money off of the layman if you put your money behind causes that help people you are still doing good and that matters way more to me than you saying like oh black lives matter no show it in your business hire black Give them opportunities to grow within the business. Give your money to um, charities. Empower them within and outside. Like those are the ways that businesses can show that we matter. To show that they're about the change. Like implement it inside your business. Don't spend money on a graphic designer to create pretty pictures for your post on Instagram. Like actually, in your own business, do the work. Do the work. Simple. Just do the work. work. Right. Action. Put action to to your words, and I think that's 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 incredibly important because else else nothing will change in the exactly. future. So it is absolutely important. And so finally, Foyan, I want to ask you, right, um, a question which I've I've asked you know past guests before. What what three words or phrases, right, do you want people to associate with you? Um, not not what three words do they associate with you, but it might be one and the same. But what three words or phrases are you intentionally wanting people to associate with you? Um, definitely authentic. Mm. Like I want people to know that I am who I say I am, and I do what I say I will do. Definitely, like how do I put this? black like I, I i wrote this in a different interview and it's basically just i create for black women i am here for black women i'm here to validate 
black women. I'm here to validate dark-skinned black women, um, mm. immigrant black women, black women on a budget, black women who don't have access to these things, black women who want to feel good, black women who want to laugh. That mm. is who I create content for. If other people enjoy it, definitely that's what I want. I want other people to see. But as yeah. in, I'm here to validate a particular kind of person and it is black women. So that is something that I want people to understand. And also just... The last one is a phrase that it doesn't necessarily make sense in this context, but it's something that like I definitely I say to myself, I believe in. And it's something that you can see in my work. And it's a phrase by my friend Neil. And it's just I will get better because that is what I do. Like that that. that is what I do. I, I may not be able to do it now. I may not be good at something now. I may not be perfect at something now, but I will get better. Cause that's what I do. I just, I get better. And I feel like if you, if you followed me for a long time, you'll see that I do get better. I get mm. more articulate. I get better production quality. I create better videos. Like I just, I get better. It's just mm. what I do. So yeah, that's, that's definitely three things that I want you to, to understand about me. Mm. <laughs> for sure. I love that. I love that. That, that's, that's, that's awesome. Especially the, 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 I get better. I absolutely love that. And I think, you know, when you talk about the intentionality of, of the content that you produce, you know, to uplift and to validate black women, I think that is, that is absolutely fantastic. So Foyan, I just want to thank you. Um, we've had a fantastic chat. Um, it's been so informative. Um, but also so inspirational, I think, to to break down, you know, certain perspectives of how we're thinking about things. Um, but also, I think, to really understand, you know, that as a person, and I'm coming back to your sort of right at the beginning when you were talking about your your creative and your analytical side, right, that as a person, you can actually exist as a being and bring that all together and wow. it will manifest ways and i think you know your your example is incredibly inspirational i think to to all who are listening and, and watching this so so please do not underestimate that and, and always remember that thank um you so, so i just want to thank you for for coming on to the show for sharing um some incredibly profound bits um i'm going to struggle to find yeah, i'm about to say have fun editing this <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to struggle to find I'm trying to think like which are the three sort of snippets that I'm going to use for this. And I'm like, there's so many. <laughs> like, I'm like, there's so many. Like I, I, I'm like thinking of like ten or eleven right now. So that's that. That's my challenge to find out which are like you content, darling. What do you do with like the you content? Just, you just brought it out. So so thank you for that. And and honestly, um, it's been a, a super impactful conversation. Um, I I think we've touched on. A lot of a lot of topics, but I think you know I'd love to have you back on the show sometime in the future. Um, so thank you once again for coming onto the show. And until you know we we meet again, uh, either virtually or in person, I hope that you stay safe and stay thank healthy. Thank you so much for having me, and I appreciate being here, telling my story. I'm glad you found it interesting. <laughs> and yeah, to the to the next time. Yeah, awesome. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to the episode. I hope that you were impacted positively and that you found substance and significance whilst listening to the episode. 
Head over to the Impactful Conversations website at impactfulconversations.co.za to find out more about the show. To stay up to date with the latest episodes, please subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star rating. You can also check out and subscribe to my episodes in video format on the Impactful Conversations YouTube channel. Just head over to YouTube and search Impactful Conversations. Thank you to all who have listened in and subscribed. Why not share the episode with a family member or a friend who you think could be positively impacted? Anyway, until the next episode, bye-bye, stay safe, stay healthy, and wash your hands.